Morning guys. So a couple people said, yes, please continue with the notes on process. Um, so I'm going to do that today. I want to reiterate that this is not supposed to be me laying out my process from start to finish. That's laid out in a, any number of places. Um, uh, I've done podcast series uh, in this podcast way, way back last year, a little over a year ago. Um, that laid out my process. I have a blog post that lays out my process. I have IGTV video series that lay out my process. What I'm trying to capture here are the small details that might differentiate how a professional approaches something than how it would occur to someone who doesn't do it professionally to do it. So, where we left off was the importance of the plastic bag for maintaining moisture content. Um, and talking about working on things in batches versus one at a time. Now, just to experiment with that yesterday, after having said that, I went and did a batch of six yesterday, six of these pie servers that I'm doing. And I prepped all the blanks one at a time, uh, got them through being blanks, took them all to the to the spoon meal and draw knife all as a as a group and then uh redrew the shape recarved the perimeter of the shape and then one at a time took them from that point to finished mm, it was maybe a little bit faster maybe but frankly n not really um there are some benefits that you can get from working in batches in the sense that you, if you are using a two knife system where you're using a roughing out knife and a finishing knife, your if you really hold off until the end to get to use your finishing knife, handling things in batches like this tends to get you a better finish or has the potential to get you a better finish on all of them at the very end rather than having there be a spectrum of some that are uh, have a cleaner finish than others when you do them one at a time. But it, it, honestly, it's pretty negligible. Hold on. Sorry to wait for a bike to go by. Um, okay. So when you are um, carving your spoon, I find it really helpful to think in terms of cycles that um, I, when I'm carving with the knives, not with the ax, I go through usually about three cycles of the spoon. I rough carve it, I redraw, I finish carve it, and then uh, usually as part of doing the bowl, um, well, and then I do facets. I, I, I do the bowl, uh, and then there are sort of fa rim facets that sort of redefine everything. So rough, finish, and then facets uh, are, or perhaps we should say rough, realign, and then finishing cuts. Um, and you'll notice that I'm basically leaving all the hollowing out of it because one of the most important things for me is to wait to hollow the bowl until I really until I've done the sort of I've done the rough 
I've done the realignment cuts, and I've even done the facets on the handle. And then and only then do I do the, um, do I carve the bowl. And the reason for that is as long as the bowl is solid wood, I have options. If I run into some unexpected thing and I need to change the shape because I've done something weird in the neck or discovered a crack or uh, just mess up in some way, if, the, if I haven't hollowed out the bowl of the spoon at all, then I have options in terms of changing the shape of the bowl. Um, whereas if I have hollowed out the bowl, then my options are much more limited. So it, it pays to wait until later. In general, uh, when people are doing the roughing out cuts, the first cycle of cuts with the knife, um, and I think everybody does these three stages, whether they recognize them as three cycles of the same, three passes the same uh, of the same cuts, Everyone does it this way because just functionally that's how it works. Um, when I'm doing the roughing out cuts, I am I uh, give myself slack to not try and get the shape very accurate. The main goal of the roughing out cuts is to get underneath all of the axe marks and all of the tricky spots and just sort of make sure that everything is good and I'm not going to have any surprises going forward. And then the secondary part of the roughing out cuts is to reduce the thicknesses of the spoon, both the rim thickness and the handle thickness, to a level where once I redraw, I can then make much more controlled cuts because I'm cutting through, in general, I shoot for half as much material. Um, you know, it can, it can differ, like on the handle sometimes, I'm not taking off it all the way down to half, but, um, but especially for the rim, I tend to, whatever thickness it is, when I'm done axing is calibrated such that the roughing out cuts cut the rim thickness in half and then the realignment cuts have that again and then by the time I'm doing the facets it's functionally having the thickness of that one more time down to very very little and by staggering the process of getting everything lined up and into shape I am able to sidestep issues and problems and sort of pull everything into alignment together and that's how I'm able to create such consistent shapes. It comes from this three-part process where I am pulling everything down in stages. If I tried to pull everything down to, uh, if I tried to like lock in one dimension, the plan view for instance, while everything was still thick, not only would it be much much harder uh, to on the knife, I would also um, leave myself vulnerable to not being able to make uh, adjustments as uh, something might come up when I'm carving the profile, for instance. So by pulling everything down into stages, I am both giving myself the most flexibility to gracefully accommodate individual problems with spoons um, and also uh, allowing myself to be as consistent as possible. Um, now there's another principle, which is when I am defining the profile of the spoon with the roughing out cuts or, or any cuts, I, in any of these cycles, I always define the top of the spoon first and then pull up the underside of the rim or the underside of the handle to meet the top. And the reason for that is, has to do with, um, 
the way the axe marks work because axe marks on the top of the spoon diving down into the grain are prone to leaving cracks and you don't necessarily know how deep some of those cracks might go until you get underneath them with a cut and it is very possible that if you were to define the bottom of a spoon first which is tempting because it's easier to do if you define the bottom of a spoon first and you pull the underside of the bowl up too high you might not actually have left yourself enough material to be able to get down underneath those axe marks without compromising the plan shape of the spoon because you pulled up the bottom too soon. So always do the top of the spoon first to find the profile, the side view of the spoon from the top on the top surface first and then pull the bottom up to meet it. Okay, so now we get to the, the concept of redrawing the shape. There seems to be some funny macho thing that people have, or like a weird idea of what it means to be artistic, where whether it's macho or, or artistic, people think that using a pencil to redraw the shape somehow is sullies the experience, that there's something more pure about carving with only the knife and not using a pencil to redraw the shape. And I think that's BS. I think the pencil is one of the most practical tools we have to be able to achieve the result that we want. And after I rough out the spoon, I use the pencil to re-establish the line that I want. And the important thing to recall here is that when I'm sketching the shape on the axe blank, on the billet really, that defines what I axe out, it is deliberately sketchy and deliberately a little bit big. Um, and the finished thing is always going to be smaller than that. And so I have calibrated my sense of proportion and size that I draw for the first shape is different than my sense of proportion and size that I draw for the finished shape that I'm using the pencil with on the roughed out spoon. And that is because if they're the same, then any mistake you make in the axing or roughing out stage is going to impede your ability to get the size spoon that you want because there's no extra material. So there has to be extra material built in. I'm sure it's easy to leave too much material and then you're struggling with too big of a spoon, but uh, honestly, I'd rather have a little too much than not enough. And so when I redraw the shape, I am essentially searching for what is the sweetest, best compromise shape that can fit within the material that remains. And I have any number of tricks that help with that. Probably the two most important to think about are defining the neck of the spoon where the shoulders come into the handle first. And then, and the other is planting the heel of your hand on a table or your leg or something and describing arcs with the pencil in your hand with the heel of that hand planted so that it is fixed in space and then you move the spoon underneath. You rotate the spoon rather than rotate your hand and where you're drawing and it's much easier to draw matching curves that way 
than it is to hold the spoon still and try to draw a shape. And so I'm always rotating the spoon as I redraw the shape. And that really helps me get a symmetrical shape. I think it is worth training yourself to not use a template. I used a template early on because I thought, ooh, I need to be more consistent. But what I didn't realize was that a template, <clears throat> your first template is almost always going to suck compared to what your spoons could be later on. And if you train yourself too tightly to use a template, you keep your spoons from being able to evolve because you've never built the muscle of being able to freehand draw a shape. Because when you freehand draw a shape, you're allowing your brain and your muscle memory to make slight adjustments, either because the wood presents certain opportunities or because you just recognize from the last bunch that you carved that it would be better if the bowl was a little smaller or the handle was a little narrower or a little wider. All of these things that flow and change and make a good spoon a great spoon are much harder to achieve if you're using a template. So I would highly recommend that you don't. And it's going to feel like something you could do to make your work better and more consistent. But I think it's a red herring. So, you've redrawn your shape. This is the point that I would switch to a finishing knife if I had one. Because at this point, one of the things that sets professionals apart and makes them fast is that every cut you're making has the potential to produce a finished surface. And so if I make a sweet cut on the top of the handle and I really like how it looks, if I've used my finishing knife and it's produced a finished quality surface, then I don't touch it again. And one thing that I didn't mention in the roughing out stage is that it's important in the roughing out stage to undo any twist that might exist between the handle and the rim, the handle and the bowl. And usually this is most easily done at that stage by lowering one side of the tip to the side of the rim, and that will undo the twist. But for that to work, you need to anticipate that and leave enough material underneath it, on the underside of the bowl, that you can undo that twist. Otherwise, you're stuck with the bowl as it is, and you end up having to uh, undo the twist by carving all four sides of the handle, the top, the bottom, and each side, in such a way that it undoes the twist. And that's four cuts as opposed to one, so it's harder and slower to get right. Now, going back to the alignment cuts, all of the alignment takes place in a sort of cubist world where even though you are creating curves in the plan view, and I guess in the profile view, you are also maintaining a top face, a bottom face, which is slightly different because it's curved around the bottom of the bowl um, in the sides. And maintaining those four sides as distinct is important at this stage. If you want to have facets on your handle, you need to leave enough material that you have something to remove to create the facets. It is very easy to work and work and work the top and bottom faces trying to get the, sh the profile shape that you want. 
and not recognize that you didn't leave any material to take off with facets, or if you do, the handle will be uncomfortably thin. And so you sort of lock yourself into a rectangular shape, which is often boring. Not always, I have rectangular shapes on my, uh, on a bunch of my cooking spoons that are deliberately rectangular, but in general, facets allow you to play with different things, uh, different profiles, different ways that the facets swoop up and down, and they're nice to have, but you have to leave some depth to your handle in order to achieve them. Round handles are especially hard to visualize uh, because by the time you take something that's square and bring it down to round, uh, it's you'd be shocked how big a square you need to start with in order to end up with the round handle that you want. It's easy to have it be way too skinny, which is why there's a lot of these um, sort of art, art spoons that have round handles and they're super, super skinny. I think it's because... Uh, there is a lack of understanding of that at first, and there's always a temptation with round to just keep going and going and going, trying to make it more even and perfect, and lose sight of the uh, forest for the trees, where you lose sight of the functionality of your spoon and you lose it. I've come to appreciate that many spoons work better if they are more robust. Not all of them. My eating spoons, my espresso scoop, uh, dessert spoons, certain other scoops have become more delicate over time, while at the same time my cooking spoons have become more robust. They might actually be more delicate in the bowl, but they've become more robust in the handle because I've come to recognize that when you are gripping a cooking spoon, you want something a little more substantial in your hand. Um, and it's easy to make things too thin it's easy to make handles too thin. It's also easy to leave rims too thick. With the exception of certain applications with cooking spoons where a thicker rim will make it more durable, but not necessarily work better, I've come to feel that a thinner rim is more appropriate for almost every application. It feels better in your mouth. It works better when you're scraping a pan or a pot. Uh, it does a better job of sec separating uh, liquids in forms of, uh, it, when it comes to a ladle, like separating um, uh, oil from the liquid of stocks. And um, and so rims, I have come to feel like rims, I am trying to make more delicate, while handles, I am interested more and more in beefing them up. In order to have a delicate rim that is not too delicate, you need to leave a thicker center of the bowl. The belly of the bowl needs to be the thickest part and then it needs to taper out to the rim. If you try to match the mechanics of a, of a metal utensil where it is an even thickness throughout, you're not taking advantage of the fact that wood can be tapered easily and metal cannot in the same way that you know, you're stamping a sheet of metal to create a piece of silverware. And if you make the wood of even thickness, it is going to be very weak compared to if you even add just a little bit of taper. Now, it's more common in somebody starting out to have a bowl of the spoon be the 
thinnest in the center of the bowl. That's usually because they people struggle with um, not overcutting the bowl because they're trying to get as clean a finish in the bowl as possible, and they go they go further and they go further and they go further, and all of a sudden the bowl, the center of the bowl, is perilously close to being too thin, and so they compensate for that by making the rim thick. And I think that's a good plan for the first couple of spoons while you figure out how your hook knife works and all that. But as soon as you feel like you have control over how much you are removing with your hook knife, and we'll get into how to have control in just a minute, um, as soon as you feel like you have control, ow, I'll just hit my heel, um, I think you'll have a much better functionality in your spoon. Willa, come on, let's go. Hey, leave it, let's go. Willa, no. Hey, come on. Let's go. Come on. Good girl. Let's go. Come on. Good girl. Um, you have much... Ow. Just hit my heel again. Uh, you have much better um, functionality of your spoon by keeping the, the belly of the bowl the thickest and then tapering out towards the rim. Now, rims are much easier to get nice if you let the thickness of the rim vary depending on where on the rim it is. So, um, partly this is they are easier to carve because it is easier to um, make a sweet line on the rim when all you're worried about is the taper versus trying to get every part of the rim exactly the same thickness as the other parts of the rim. Because if you make any mistake in that second scenario, then back to the drawing board you go, and you're recarving and recarving and recarving, and before you know it, you've ruined your spoon trying to make this thing arbitrarily uniform. If instead you let the rim taper, in general being thickest at the tip, narrowest at the sides, and then somewhere in between in the back shoulders, that is an easy taper to establish, and if you need to adjust it, you just adjust it, and you're not then chasing it all around the rim again and again and again. Now, the way you get the bowl of your spoon to be exactly the way you want is by roughly hollowing and then adjusting the rim one last time. That's the final, essentially, facet cuts where you sort of get the top face exactly how you want it. And then you carve the rim with the hook knife, just the rim, not trying to go from the rim down to the center or the center up to the rim. You're just going around the edge of the rim and establishing exactly the line that you want. And then, you can um, you can blend from the center of the bowl, really from the rim down into the center of the bowl or from the center of the bowl up to the rim. You can blend your cuts so that they meet that rim cut, but by establishing the rim separately, it is much easier to lock in the shape that you want. Um, in general, when I'm carving, the bowl of any spoon, I start in the middle and then work my way outward, just as though I was digging a hole with a shovel, right? 
you don't start digging the hole of a shovel on the edge defining a perimeter. You start in the middle and you work down and out in equal measure. If you start at the, the inner rim that you want when you're trying to cut the, cut the bowl of a spoon, you are very likely to create essentially uh, a defined inner rim and then a mountain of material in the middle that you're struggling to get into. And that's because when you do it that way, the flow of grain through the bowl of the spoon is not in your favor. And once that mountain gets created, it's even harder to dig down through it because if it skips out of it, the, the knife is apt to go further than you intend and either hurt yourself or hurt the, the finished spoon. So I always start in the center of the bowl and then work my way down and out. And I do the bowl in the same stages. I rough it out and then I redefine the top rim and then I do my realignment and then, and then finishing faceting cuts that are more like scraping cuts. Um, anything you can do, and I touched on this in the last time, to make your knives sharper will dramatically increase what you're capable of. And so I would recommend dropping the hook knife in particular, um, either with dropping compound on a wooden dowel or getting a strop stick. Um, that is, that would be, I would do that before I even got a strop for my knife. Because you're asking so much of the hook knife in terms of going slightly against the grain a lot of the time, that the sharper you can make it, the more easily and, and uh, flawlessly it will do that for you. I'm a big believer in using just one hook knife. A lot of times people think that they need two different hook knives, a righty or a lefty, or a compound and an open, in order to achieve a nice shape and relatively fuel tool marks in the bowl. And I feel like with the Monadnock hook that Matt has, we developed it to have an in-between curvature that is an that is a symmetrical curve, which means that if you are pivoting the knife on its heel and using the tip to cut, or pivoting the knife on its tip and using the heel to cut, both of which I do, they cut the exact same curve, which makes it really easy to use one knife to make all of the cuts that you need in the bowl of a spoon. Really, no matter what the shape or size of the spoon is. I use the Menadnock on all the different spoons I make from the tiny little one tablespoon measures, which really sort of get right to the limit of what it can do, all the way up to my biggest ladle, which also gets right to the limit of what it can do in terms of depth and size. Um, but there's something about that curve and the symmetricality of that curve uh, that makes things possible that otherwise are not, uh, are not easy to achieve. Um, I am a big believer in micro chamfers. Uh, I think micro chamfers make a big difference in how a spoon feels, particularly on the inside of the rim, uh, but also on the outside of the rim, the underside of the rim, and all of the edges that make up the handle as well. And the easiest way I know of to make micro chamfers 
uh, well, the inside of the rim is the easiest thing to do is to use the hook knife. You can use the tip of the sloyd, but it's always going to be dangerously close to dragging a line through the belly of the bowl. And whereas a hook knife doesn't have that risk, so just use the hook knife. And then when I use the sloyd to make all the outside um, uh, finishing cuts, um, uh, micro chamfers, um, the trick to getting them delicate enough is to really not use any force, to let the weight of the blade produce the thickness of the cut. Um, and, and essentially just guide it and try not to put any pressure on it other than guiding it and you'll get a nice delicate cut. What else? I burnish and I polish my spoons. I feel like that uh, is really important. I talked about that yesterday. I talked about the beeswaxia yoba oil mixture that I use because I don't like linseed oil. Um, oh, and I tend to heat treat my spoons in that when I apply the beeswax yoba oil mixture, I am doing it while turning the spoon over a stove flame. I have a propane stove, a natural gas stove in our kitchen. I turn on the flame, I smear on plenty and have extra on my fingers. And as the spoon heats up, it sucks it in deeper and I smear on extra. When it sucks it in, it's going to feel rougher unless you smear on extra. And it's going to also be hard on the spoon unless you have the extra on your fingers to smear on. And, but then once it sucks it in and then you smear on extra, it'll feel extra smooth. Because um, the pores have been open and now they close back up. Um, and the heat hardening, I think getting the, the stuff to strike in deep to the wood is kind of mm, secondary and not nearly as important. And if I don't have the heat, the ability to do a heat treatment, I don't worry about it. But it is awfully nice to use the heat treatment on more delicate forms because I think it makes them more durable. So like pie servers, for example, or butter knives, or eating spoons, or even cooking spoons, the heat hardens them. And I'm not entirely sure what's going on, but I suspect it's something like the moisture is being driven out of some of the cell walls and it's changing the cells in some way that it makes them harder, more dense. Um, and I don't do it for very long, just a, you know, less than a minute per spoon. Um, but it makes a noticeable difference in how durable it is. And I think uh, it allows me to push a delicacy that otherwise uh, wouldn't be as durable. And it also allows me to just finish spoons right off the bat. Um, so even if they are still have some moisture in them, I'll still finish them. And like with birch spoons or maple spoons that have more moisture in them typically than cherry heartwood, there will be a blush of color um, extending from the center, not quite reaching the edges of a sort of pinkish color. Willa, come on, let's get you in the truck. Um, that blooms and then fades over the course of about a week. Come on, hop in. Um, and that is, uh, that doesn't seem to have any effect on the quality of the spoon in the end. Um, it is just, uh, 
all it does is I think it is an equalization of the moisture that is still left in the spoon as it slowly escapes through the finish um, and the change in color is because it's because it is trapped it has uh, there's might be some sort of oxidation taking place maybe not oxidation because that would require oxygen there's some sort of chemical change taking place in the wood that then sort of resolves itself through the finish um, but yeah I finish spoons right away rather than let them oxidize and then make finishing cuts uh, when they're dry that's it for now um, that was a lot of details but honestly those are most of the tricks of the trade that I use that I think set my process apart from that of my peers um, and if you found this helpful let me know thanks for listening guys talk tomorrow